Hello, and thank you for listening to the Teaching Math Teaching Podcast. The Teaching Math Teaching Podcast is sponsored by the Association of Mathematics Teacher Educators, a community of math teacher educators learning to teach math teachers better. I'm your host, Joel Amidon, and joining me is Jen Wolf. Hey, Jen, how are you? Good, good to be here. And Dusty Jones. Dusty, how are you? I'm doing great, Joel. Good to be here. Thanks. And today we are talking with Dr. Jennifer Suh, who is a professor and co-director of the Center for Outreach in Mathematics Professional Learning and Educational Technology at George Mason University and serves as a vice president for professional learning. We are talking to Dr. Suh to share some of her experience and expertise as a mathematics teacher educator and She's going to share uh, an upcoming experience for early career mathematics teacher educators coming up at, in October. That's coming up quickly. And we want Jen to share some of the work that got her and her colleagues awarded the National Technology Leadership Initiative Fellowship. Jen, welcome. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited. <laughs> yeah, this is exciting. We're, I mean, we're, we were talking before we got on. This is like we're getting uh, we're getting it back up going. We got the semester started. We got that everything settled, and now we get to do some do some podcasts. I'm excited to have you on. So, can you take a minute to introduce yourself a little bit beyond what I've already shared? What did I miss? Yeah. So, um, I guess uh, I've been doing a lot of uh, service work for AMTE. Um, I'm the VP, Vice President of Professional Learning, and that's been really fun. Um, uh, actually, uh, during my um, my uh, uh, position, I, I think you know during the pandemic, we were able to actually offer like the first virtual conference from MTEs for math teacher educators, and so you know it's been a great learning experience for me. Um, I've really enjoyed you know meeting a lot of math teacher educators by serving um, on the board. Um, I also get to serve on the NCTM board of directors, and so that's been really great because. Um, you know, advocating for the voices of teachers is actually a, a very core, um, you know, um, passion of mine. And so it's been really nice to be able to uh, work with both organizations. So. Yeah, that's a unique perspective, like being on both yeah. of those boards. I, I forgot about that. Yeah, that's that's pretty unique. So I, I'm well, I'm going to put you on spot. What's one thing that you're in both of those positions, like mm -hmm. that's kind of, I don't know, bubble to the surface, like the connection between the two. I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, elevating the voices of teachers, I think, is mm. always central to our work. And I think being on the board for NCTM as well as AMTE, I think that's the place where um, we math teacher educators can do um, our best work, right? So whether it's um, supporting teachers when they're facing challenges in the classroom and and having to be the voice to kind of support them in, in you know, ways that we can, um, you know, bring better teaching, you know, teaching environments for our students or, um, you know, bringing more um, equitable teaching practices to the forefront. I think those are really important things that we can do. Um, and I've seen that uh, both NCTM and AMTE play such an important role in that. Um, so I've been proud of, uh, you know, being on the leadership in, in both of these organizations. Well, and I think we can all agree that that takes a lot of time. So again, thank you for your service in those areas. Like, sure. Um, so how did you start teaching math teachers? Yeah. So actually, um, I never really thought I was going to uh, go for my PhD and be a professor in a university, but I loved curriculum development. So every summer when I was a classroom teacher, I would actually be part of a curriculum development project. And 
um, I really love the creativity that that teachers can, um, you know, unleash. And, you know, I love that part of the curriculum, um, it, it, you know, designing uh, learning experiences for kids. And that was like two decades ago when, you know, PBL is kind of named and people know it now, but I really love project-based learning. And so I realized that, you know, when I was developing those things, you can't just let it sit in a unit or in some kind of a document. Um, you actually have to go there and teach teachers like this, this wonderful resource that you, you created. And so I started doing more PD and then I realized, you know what, let me go ahead and put this towards, um, you know, earning a doctorate so I can actually do this more um, with teachers. And so that's when I started my program. And ever since then, I think, you know, um, one of my, you know, like I said, a biggest passion is really elevating our profession. And I feel like as an MTE, you know, we have a role that we can play. Um, and, you know, I, I feel like teaching is one of the most esteemed professions. And I want to really kind of, um, sometimes I don't think even folks in our profession uh, view themselves as being in that, in that really important role. And, you know, um, teaching teachers makes me, you know, uh, uh, it helps me kind of think about how we can really lift the profession. Um, and so that's kind of how I began my work uh, as a teacher educator. Nice. Now the vice president of uh, professional learning, like helping others kind of do that same work too. That's kind of neat too. Um, what is the best advice you received when you started teaching math teachers? Yeah, so I think um, the best advice that I got was like, be a forever teacher and a learner. Um, and I think that was really helpful because, um, you know, when I started teaching teachers, and I don't know if you guys also noticed this, but our pre-service teachers know like in an instant, if you've not been in the classroom, right? <laughs> yeah. For me, like just to be, you know, real and authentic and like, you know, really tying research to practice, I, I think it was so very important that I continue to see myself as a teacher. Um, and, you know, I think um, that's really served me well. Um, and, and I've never really left the classroom. Um, one of the really great things that I've been able to do in, in 20 years of my work as a MTE is really continue to work at a school site that I started. And, you know, I do lesson study with this school, but um, it allows me to just be side by side next to teachers, um, you know, working on curriculum development and um, really helping teachers see themselves as teacher researchers. Um, and so for me, I continue to learn from them. I feel like teachers, you know, um, I do bring um, some, you know, resources that like uh, connecting research to practice and, um, you know, um, really um, important kinds of professional learning experiences, but they also teach me so much. And so oh, yeah. it's been wonderful for me to kind of continue to see myself as a teacher and a learner um, of other teachers, right? Um, I love observing and, and, you know, of course, getting into the classroom. That's the best part. Um, and we do that as researchers, but I think it's so wonderful when we can do that as a collaborative researcher. Yeah, it's such a win-win situation when like you're in that, you're there at the school and like you can add value, but then again, they're adding value to you and like, and you're both getting better together. I think Vygotsky would be happy about that and all that <laughs> stuff, you know, like climbing, climbing up together. Um so I wonder if this ain't different, but what advice would you give to someone else starting out in this role of teaching math yeah. teachers? So, um, I mean, I think it would be a similar advice, but then I would add like, um, be a forever advocate of teachers and learners. And I think that's kind of um, where 
I continue to emphasize the idea of voices. And I feel like, um, you know, uh, this idea of, um, you know, elevating teachers' voices. Um, there are so many, I like to kind of use this term, um, the multiplier effect when I work with teachers, because there's so many geniuses in our school districts. And so, um, you know, I really try to, um, you know, um, highlight our teachers and their knowledge bases. And, you know, oftentimes we talk about, and I think our field is really moving towards really um, not just adopting an anti-deficit orientation, but really kind of acting on it. And I mm -hmm. feel like we do that for our, our learners in a lot of different arenas. And we're working really hard um, to um, dismantle inequitable structures, as well as, you know, promote a lot of equitable teaching practices. Um, and, you know, move away from labeling and just using standardized tests to define our learners. And, and yet I think sometimes we still um, notice that teachers are not elevated in that same way. Like how do we make sure that we are looking at the assets of our teachers? So mm -hmm. that word advocate becoming a forever advocate for our teachers and learners is something that I feel like um, really motivates me. And, and I think the teachers notice it. It's like a lot of our teachers who didn't feel like they were the math, best math teachers, you know, um, and, and oftentimes in some districts, I think they have structures now for teachers to really engage in professional learning and learn as they grow to be a teacher. We can't always expect them to have all their knowledge bases um, when they graduate from our teacher ed program. But I think that more and more we're, we're hoping, you know, trying to provide those learning spaces for our teachers and, and seeing that growth is really what makes them see themselves as really strong math, um, you know, doers and learners. Yeah. And I, I see that parallel and the work that we can do for our learners as well as our teachers. So I want to put like hit the, you know, the little zoom reaction of the applause symbol, because it's like, <laughs> but that's not good for podcasting. But I mean, so lots of good things there. I wonder, uh, Dusty Jen, I, I don't know, probably lots of great ideas there. Anything you want to dive a little deeper into? I'd be curious to know, because um, you talked a lot about like, like, it sounds like heart work for you, right? This heart work is advocacy. So mm -hmm. In, in, in moving towards more advocacy, what was it that kind of spurred you into that? Like, mm. what was it that were these, were the, was there a moment or two in your collaboration and work with teachers that, you know what, I need to be an advocate. Here's my voice. My voice matters. How do I use it to lift up others as I'm climbing? Mm -hmm. You know, I think it's um, perhaps it's kind of um, being able to see a lot of my teachers growth over the years. Right. So, I have the fortunate opportunity to sometimes see my pre-service teachers in their first formative years in teaching. And sometimes they're kind of, um, you know, intimidated by, a, you know, becoming a, a brand new teacher to the point where I see them coming back to our math specialist program in a couple of years to be a math leader. And so, mm. you know, a lot of the work that we do to kind of advocate and like support them and like do professional development with them. Um, it, it makes an impact. They start to see themselves as leaders. And I think it's because I've seen them in that professional continuum that I really believe that 
it's so important. And, um, you know, connecting back with our pre-service teachers and seeing them again, like in three or five years of their teaching. And then kind of, you know, um, one of my advisor always was, you know, um, kind of prodding me and kind of pushing me sometimes when I was scared to try something different. But because she pushed me, then I realized, oh my gosh, I can do this. And I think that's even how I became a math teacher educator. And I see that same kind of motivation in my in the teachers I get to work with. And so it's kind of the belief that we have of our students, right? If we have a high expectation set for them, we see them rise. And I see the same thing with teachers. And um, because I've been able to do lesson study with these teachers around um, the state and even just, you know, um, across the United States, I see that, you know, when, when you work with um, teachers and it's a teacher-led professional development, they see that they actually have agency, Right. Um, and so I think, you know, that's where I want to put a lot of my effort, like not be a consultant that I drop in and I share something that I've been working on. And then, you know, good luck with that. But like, <laughs> you know, really letting get yeah. letting teachers say, you know what, you already have a structure, you have a PLC. Can you can you get that to really work for you so that you become teacher researchers yourselves? You know, yeah. uh, so that's been really motivating for me. And and you're right, Jen, is like the passion work. And um, yeah, that that keeps me going. Well, it's clear you're, I mean, that the whole anti-deficit view, right, of teachers and what they're capable of doing, and you're walking that, right, and you're seeing how you can um, influence, right, and learn from and with um, these teachers as you've seen them grow across and say, hey, what can, how can we use starting points of what you know in your community to move our learning collectively forward? I love that. I I had a I guess first of all just kind of a what question like what mm-hmm. what grade level when you were a classroom teacher what level of students did you teach or what courses mm-hmm. maybe um, and then the teachers that you're working with now um, where, what are those grade ranges yeah so um, actually one of my first experience was a multi grade um, and that okay. that was really eye opening for me because as a new teacher like being able to differentiate for multi-age, um, you know, grades, that was a learning curve that I think um, really helped me see how, how that, how important that is. Um, but I taught third grade uh, for several years and then sixth grade. So most of my teaching experience was in the K-6 mm-hmm. uh, arena. And so a lot of the work that I do now is with K-8 teachers. Mm-hmm. And um, I tend to really enjoy vertical teams yeah. when we do lesson study, just because, you know, it actually brings the curriculum alive for teachers when they are saying, well, I can teach this lesson, but you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to change it up like this. And so they're talking about the concept that relates. And so then the other grade teachers, they start to see, oh, okay, so that's how it builds. And it just becomes a very natural Mm -hmm. conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, As well as, you know, I love like um, when I was doing curriculum development, I also also loved all the, you know, the research on learning trajectories. Right. So again, like that becomes a really nice centerpiece, a tool for me to use where I try to bridge the whole K-8 curriculum Mm -hmm. in a natural way through lesson study. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, that's kind of the the work I get to do. That's great. That really answers my second question, which could you give us an example? And you you really just walked us through using lesson study and these uh, learning trajectories to help identify assets from all of the teachers. Um, you know, what they bring to the table and then, and then move forward. So that's, that's really cool. Um, I, this is the first time I've thought about teachers in a asset-based sort of thing. Not, not to say that I always just went in with a deficit 
based model, but I don't think I'd ever thought about it until we started talking about this. So you've, you've unlocked something in my mind. I'm, I'm excited to explore it some more. Yeah. Well, even to draw the connection back to even your own path towards uh, getting your doctorate and thinking about the asset that you had of like embracing, you know, curriculum development and thinking like, well, this is the path that I can take towards wanting to do this further and helping others like, you know, see the, some of the benefits of the stuff uh, that I'm doing and, and then still continuing those relationships in school. I don't know. That's like, what, what gifts you have and how can you use them to serve others, right? And so it's like, that's yeah. pretty neat. Yeah. I mean, I think there's one other thing that I would love to share is that I think sometimes also look, looking at different countries and how teachers are viewed and how they work with mm. teachers, mm. that really influences, I think, my orientation. So, you know, I am Korean American. And although I was born in, in America, I went to a native elementary school in Korea. And I just remember like, like the teachers were so respected. And later on, I I really try to make connections with Korean math teacher educators to learn more about like, how is that profession viewed so differently than how our teachers are viewed in the United States, right? Because I think the the passion is still there for, for all of our teachers, but how come it's so different? And I realized that, you know, so many different countries have different um, ways that they view their teachers and that makes all the difference. And mm-hmm. the structures are laid out differently and the ways that they, they're given time to really learn their craft and research their craft. And mm-hmm. I think we're getting better at that in the United States, but I think we still have a lot of work that we can do in terms of providing teachers with that kind of structure for their own, you know, teacher inquiry so that it actually, you know, is something that is part of who they are. Mm -hmm. Um, So I've learned a lot through international collaboration. And I think that's always nice when you get outside of the United States and Mm -hmm. you see like, you know, how do the Finnish, you know, teachers see themselves, right? They see themselves as learning scientists and, you know, um, so anyways, uh, I, that was something that I thought was pretty impactful for me. Yeah. So Jen, you, you talked about, you know, being on two boards and then you talk about working within schools and all this stuff. So this is a great question. So how do you set boundaries and priorities to get the right things done and still enjoy your life? Yeah. So I'm always checking myself and I'm an offender of this, I think, you know, and I have to be honest, like I almost need like a heart monitor Uh, like a work-life monitor to keep me in check because I think it's really hard, especially in academia. And Mm -hmm. I think you all could probably relate that this is probably the most challenging thing for us because we are so passionate. Our our work days are very non-traditional. I teach mostly evening classes because they're for teachers. And quite honestly, I'm busiest during the summer because that's when teachers are free. And that's when I do all my professional development. So, you know, when my family's trying to plan a beach vacation or a vacation somewhere, like, hey, that's the week I'm doing summer PD for three weeks. And, you know, (laughs) so, I mean, I think that um, that's why it's, I think it's really important that like organizations like AMTE, you know, provide a forum like we're going to um, have that, that I'll speak more of where we kind of, you know, forefront and center our well-being and like the work-life balance. Because I think, um, you know, if you, if you even think about promotion and tenure, like we're, we're, we're kind of praised or 
um, you know, uh, we get our promotion tenure when we actually go above and beyond. Think about right. the criteria exceeds expectations, like yeah. those above and beyond. And those are the norms set in our profession. So you wonder, like, why are we working so hard? Right. I mean, I think it's, again, like a system and, you know, structure that's kind of in place that pushes us that way. But I do think that, you know, um, we need to really kind of think about like what's going to sustain us for many, many years. And if we kind of continue the way that perhaps like if we are not creating work-life balance that I think people do burn out and you're, you're, you know, you could really lose sight of what's important. And I mean, I think sometimes, you know, it's something as scary as a life, you know, um, changing, you know, um, condition or some, you know, Things like that make us stop and think. And, you know, for me, that there was a moment like that. But I feel like that shouldn't be the moment where you kind of re- reevaluate what's important to you. And I, so I really appreciate when either, you know, um, our university is really trying to bring that to the forefront. And we're seeing that not just in words and, you know, webinars and sessions, but really <laughs> yeah. kind of changing some of our practices, like, um, even just like uh, recently, my uh, coordinator was saying, you know, we really need to let our students know that we're here and we're responsive, but that they can't expect us to respond to emails within hours over the weekend, right? Just kind of that setting boundaries. Um, and so if that's kind of a systemic way we see things, like if we kind of create um, those kinds of um, norms, then I think it becomes easier for us to say, you know what, I shouldn't feel guilty. And I should indulge in my life. And, um, you know, so so things like that, I think, is really helpful. And uh, again, I'm still working on this and I'm hoping to learn more from my colleagues who do this very well. Uh, but I can't say I'm, I'm really good at it, you know, um, but I'm going to try to say no more so I can do things that I really love with more, you know, time and passion and, uh, you know, energy. Um, so. I'll, so. I'll, why don't we, just because you mentioned it, why don't we jump yeah. into that, like to talk about the the virtual institute that you have coming up uh, in October that you've been organizing through uh, AMTE. Yeah, I want to really um, call out um, the committee, actually, the Professional Development Com- Committee led by the um, terrific Ruby Ellis and her team of uh, Jonna Bollier, Lindsay Gibbons, Aaron Baldinger, and Christopher Parrish. They've been working really hard. Oh, Jessica Ivy as well. And they've been working really, really hard. Uh, this is kind of the first of its kind, although we've had virtual conferences. The Virtual Institute for Professional Learning is a deep dive. In, um, and, and we're, you know, kind of thinking that um, there are topics that a lot of folks could benefit from. Um, but we really wanted to actually center our um, new and early career educators, as well as some of our doctoral students. So this is a um, like, we'll start there, but don't, you know, there's lots of places where we can go beyond that. But what I really am excited is that you're going to see uh, rock stars coming and sharing their expertise, like Jennifer Wolf, who will be talking about teaching scholarship and teaching. Um uh, Matt is going to, Matt felton Kultzler is um, coming and talking about, you know, how do you develop a research trajectory, right? Um, Eric uh, and the PD committee, they're going to be talking about navigating the job market because, you know, there are some, um, we call it the hidden curriculum because you know that there's actually a lot that um, is um, 
kind of knowledge that people hand down, or maybe you have a great mentor and they tell you how you can negotiate your best job offer, but it's not written anywhere. So we're thinking um, unpacking the hidden curriculum was a really good name for this. Um, as well as um, productivity and wellness. Um, I think that's going to be a really nice session that I will definitely go to so I can learn better how to be productive <laughs> and provide, you know, like uh, mentorship as well. Um, and then uh, Toya uh, Frank, my very awesome colleague at George Mason, uh, will be talking about um, equity-centered math ed research and how we can really be an advocate. I've learned so much from her as well. Um, and then Dorothy White, uh, another wonderful rock star uh, that we all adore yes. service the profession. She's probably the reason why I'm doing a lot of the service because um, she's a great role model there. Um, and then of course you get to find out about our committee. Um, and so all of the vice presidents of the different um, committees will be coming and sharing because we really do want, um, you know, uh, beginning researchers and teacher educators to come and join us for the um, the work that we have as a committee member. I think um, we get more voices that are, you know, at different um, spectrums in our profession and, and different voices that really matter. Um, so there's lots of, uh, there's actually a, a few more, but, you know, um, Megan uh, is going to start us off and then end us. And she's been an awesome president. So um, please join us. It's October 19th. Um, and is uh, uh, you'll see that there's going to be a registration um, link coming out to all members. Now, remember, this is also open to all, anybody. Um, so you don't have to be an AMT member. We thought that that would be an important thing for us um, to just kind of invite all um, who, who feel like it would benefit them. So share it widely, share it with your doctoral students. I think it's so fun when we, when we can network as well. Yeah. And as soon as we get that link, we'll, we can put it in the show notes for this episode too. And I know we'll put it out awesome. on social media as well. That's great. Thank you so much. Yeah. What about the, um, so also to, in, uh, I don't know, Dusty, did you have something? I didn't know if you're. No, I was just saying, yes, we will share it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, <laughs> we will. Let me ask the yeah. next question. Yeah. So <laughs> Jen, we also asked you here to talk about uh, your NTLI fellowship uh, that you and your colleagues were recognized for. Uh, tell me if I'm saying this wrong. Transformative technology for equity-centered instruction. Yeah. 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 Tell us about that. That was another passion project of ours. Um, so I got to work with my colleagues, Kim Leong, Kate Rossielli, and Holly Tate. And we were actually, this kind of this work kind of started during the pandemic, as you all use a lot of technology. So did our yeah. teachers. And we, you know, um, I've always been very interested in technology um, and the affordance of technology in terms of really, um, you know, amplifying the math, as well as like how we can actually uh, use technology in ways that um, bring more voices in. And so um, particularly, I think during the pandemic, you might have seen a lot of teachers uh embrace, maybe that's not the perfect word, but whether they liked it or not, they embrace technology, right? Because they had to teach it through that medium. And, you know, oftentimes, um, you know, uh, they would use uh, platforms like um, we saw a lot of teachers using Nearpod, Google Slides, um, uh, Pear Deck, and those kinds of activity builders actually had some affordances that perhaps before the pandemic, we really didn't get to see being used in, in masses. 
And so then it kind of made me think about like, you know, not only are we using technology in ways that um, amplify the mathematics, there are, there are ways that technology is now amplifying um, participation structures, right? Um, and so then I started to think about like, well, we have many, many equity frameworks, right? Where we look at achievement and identity and, and participation and achievement and all of those wonderful things. Um, and we have, you know, rubrics that guide our lessons to see if they're more equitable. And so we started to think like, what would that look like when we're thinking about technology use? Um, and we found that, you know, um, you know, there's definitely different types of technology that we need to expose our pre-service teachers to as well as our in-service teachers. Um, like, you know, um, you know, the, a lot of the math apps that we love, as well as like they call them conveyance technology, like how to communicate and present ideas. But we really thought that, you know what, there's an opportunity to use like even the dashboards. Like, you know, we love Desmos and all the ways that Desmos allows us to see instantaneously all the student work, but not just look at student work for student work's sake, but perhaps maybe to elevate voices like, mm -hmm. oh, there's a really interesting style. Like that's kind of not the way many students are solving it, but it's pretty elegant. I'm going to highlight that, right? Maybe that student is not one of the, you know, students that are, that's always raising his or her hand, but it's a great opportunity to elevate that status, right? And so like, that's when I started to think about, well, the complex instruction actually has a role in even ways we can use technology to disrupt status in the classroom. And so we we created this kind of um, lesson analysis tool that, you know, of course, leans on a lot of the work by awesome um, equity researchers in the past. Um, but how do we use technology to access inquiry? Not like, uh, you know, sitting in front of a computer and just doing drill practice, which still happens, as we know. Um, but how do we use technology to really promote like discovery or, um, you know, sense making and inquiry? That was the first dimension. The second dimension was you know, how do we actually get students to use technology for authorship when they actually can use a math learning center app to create their own representation um, of a fraction or they're solving their problems in their own way and illustrating that through dynamic um, digital tools that really promotes this idea of authorship. Um, Number three in our dimension was um, formative assessment and differentiation. And that's really where I think um, being able to use dashboards or where teachers can view student work um, kind of simultaneously while they're working allows like real-time feedback. Um, and so we think that technology can play an important role in that. Um, uh, you know, Google Slides and Google Suites really have shown us in the, in, 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 I guess, um, in, in our recent years, all that collective thinking that we can do, right? We all write grants on a Google Doc, right? Yeah. And we add into each other's idea. And that's been kind of a way to um, highlight the collective thinking that I think we can um, highlight through technology and the social interaction. I think one-to-one -one technology is kind of a misnomer because you think like it's just a user and a technology. But I think mm -hmm. it's like, if we kind of rethink like technology being more like a one-to-many, right? because it really does bring that social aspect. And then the last one was really, you know, how does technology really promote that mathematical thinking and learning, which, you know, we've always been very focused on, but that is one equity issue as well, right? Because we want to make sure that kids, all kids, all students, um, uh, each and every student gets access to rich and rigorous mathematics. And I think technology has a, a place for that 
Um, so, so, you know, it became kind of a lesson analysis tool that we shared with our teachers, but they actually, my pre-service teachers actually used it in their student assessment. And when they were doing that, um, you know, the AMTE standards for mathematical teaching practice or uh, the uh, standards for math teacher preparation, STMP, SMTP, <laughs> you know, the acronym always fails me. But, um, you know, learning trajectory is a word that comes up like 70 plus times. Mm-hmm. And so we really understand the importance of teachers, pre-service teachers, really understanding that progression, um, but not just for progression's sake, so that we could actually find the strength in students' thinking and elevate and move them forward. And so what was one of the um, assignment that kind of um, that was coupled with this um, EQ tech tool was how would you sequence three learning activities that support your learner that you just, you know, had a formative assessment. And so, but one had to be a technology tool. So, you know, they were kind of looking through, you know, all those rich tasks and activities that they had in their Vanderwall book or other resources. But then I asked them, you need to have at least one technology and situate it within that learning um, sequence. And so that really let them see, like, how does technology help, um, you know, uh, um, bring out some of those mathematical affordances? Um, so it was really fun, not only that they were actually using technology and more, um, I guess, uh, bringing more awareness on how technology could be a tool to advance equity, but also using it in the classroom with the kiddo showed them, wow, this technology app, applet is really helping them focus on an area of understanding that perhaps maybe a paper pencil or a, a manipulative didn't do as well, right? So, um so that was the gist of the work. And um, it was really fun because we went through iterations and, um, you know, we're continuing to use it with our pre-service teachers. Nice. <clears throat> so uh, my, and just to the process, cause like someone's like, well, how do you get this, this award, this NTLI fellowship? So how, what's the, and just I mean, briefly, like what, what's the process? Like how did, how did it, how did it come up? Yeah, so actually, um, you know, uh, when you submit a proposal for AMTE each year and you actually write um, in the strand of technology and math education, there is actually an option for you to consider the NTLI. Like I would be interested in um, writing a longer paper because, you know, our AMT proposals are pretty short. Um, And so then once um, the proposals get accepted, if you are accepted, then you actually you're invited by the program chair to uh, submit a paper, um, about eight pages. So you get to elaborate on your idea even before you could go present it. And so then um, the committee will read the papers and then you use um, a rubric to evaluate the, um, uh, you know, the, the quality of the paper and the ideas present. And so then you, um, you get selected. But um, what's really cool is that during your AMT presentation, you get highlighted for this, um, award, but um, you also get to present at um, SITE, which is another technology conference. So it's been really great for my colleagues and I to be able to share this with MTEs, but also folks who are in technology who may not always come to AMTE. Nice. That's excellent. And then, um, Jen, does that um, that paper that you write, does that get submitted for consideration in the SITE Math Journal? 
Yes, yes. Awesome. So besides the S-I-T-E, which is the society where mm-hmm. you get to present, you also can submit your paper to C-I-T-E, the Contemporary Issues in Technology Education. Um, I'm still working on that. <laughs> so, okay. Um, well, be, no yeah. pressure. Just no, no, no. Get, no. Thanks a lot, Dusty. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the editors have contacted us and we are working really hard on getting that, um, yeah. you know, through the portal. But yeah, that's another opportunity you get. Yeah. So um I'm just it's trying to think of all the later. different ways that that people could get this information. What you know, absolutely. How can, they, how can they get a hold of that? Yeah, and actually, I do want to put one more plug for one of our technology committees in the professional learning. Um, there's a tech blog, and so you know, it's always nice to be able to write, a, of course, a 20-page paper you can submit to a journal, but. Um, you know, if you have a, a great idea and you're using it and you're seeing that it's really um, motivating your student teachers or um, teachers in the field, uh, we really invite you. It's only 500 words and um, uh, it's called a tech blog. And um, we really value that kind of information exchange that can happen uh, among MTEs. And so I just want to put that plug in uh, because it's kind of related to the NTLI kind of work, right? And it gets out there much faster because you know how long it takes to get a paper yeah. out there, yeah. right? So it's like, you know, a few weeks and, you know, it'll be evaluated, uh, vetted through. Uh, um, so it is a vetted uh, piece of writing. So, um, but that's another great opportunity for sharing your knowledge. Cool. And I think, you know, we talk about the the purpose of this podcast to be, you know, those resources and getting access to expertise and, and experiences, but also like resources like the tech blog, which we'll put a link in the show notes so that, you know, Hey, ideas that are out there and ways that people, and again, you talked about idea exchange, like that's a great resource. Thanks for mentioning it. Um, anything else to promote Jen? We got lots of, lots of good things that are, that are coming out here, but anything else that's on your mind that you'd like to put out there? No, I think uh, there's a lot of exciting things happening at AMT and it's across all divisions. And so I really encourage everyone to, you know, engage in, um, you know, serving for the community because you actually get to learn about all the wonderful resources and you get to meet some cool people like yourselves, right? Um, I've really gotten to know a lot of people that I probably didn't know just being a faculty member. You know, going to conferences is one thing, but when you actually get to serve with people, you get to know them at a level that's so different. Um, And then you become friends. And so I encourage all of the listeners um, to consider, you know, um, working uh, on a committee. And um, there are lots of wonderful mentors to support you. So everyone can serve in that way. And um, and I, I, I hope that um, I shared some information that's useful. And I think, uh, you know, if, if there's any, you know, um, questions about any of the information I shared, um, please reach out to me and I'll be happy to um, share more information. But thank you so much for having me. And um, I hope uh, I hope that I, I shared just enough, but not too much. <laughs> no, this is great. This is great. Anything else, uh, Jen or Dusty, to, to add? wonderful thanks for sharing thanks for sharing yeah keep up the good work Um, thank you and uh as i understand you're you're currently the the amt's vice president for professional learning but you're transitioning off of that soon is that right yeah yeah Yeah. so thank you so much for your service during this this time that you've done that yep it's been a pleasure yeah 
And uh, so, yeah, thanks, Jen. And thanks again for listening to the Teaching Math Teaching Podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to the podcast. We hope that you're able to take action on something that you just heard and interact with other math teacher educators. Also, did you know that AMTE has another podcast, the Mathematics Teacher Educator Podcast? The MTE podcast accompanies the latest edition of the Mathematics Teacher Educator Journal and has authors discuss, discuss the work they have submitted for publication of the journal. Find a link to the MTE podcast in the show notes for this episode.